0: Hey, it's your Bitcoin dad here. Today, I have an interview with my friend Kamal, who works for Galoi, the company behind the Bitcoin Beach wallet. Kamal is also organizing the adopting Bitcoin conference in El Salvador this year. We talk about that. We talk about the Galois wallet. It's kind of a far-reaching discussion. I think that we begin to just chat at some point. Things might get a little gossipy. We talk about other people in the Bitcoin space. I feel like we might be breaking some taboo in that maybe it's not polite to talk about other people. At the same time in Bitcoin, there is this debate around what is Bitcoin maximalism? What is a good Bitcoiner? Who are we? What is our culture? What are our values? And so I think that it's useful to hear someone like Kamal, who's been in the space for a while, who has a pretty interesting Bitcoin story, and see what he thinks about the characters and the events that we may or may not have been aware of when they were happening, and now we have to fit into our Bitcoin perspective. I really enjoyed this conversation. I hope it wasn't too self-indulgent on my part, but please enjoy my conversation with Kamal. Hello and welcome to the Bitcoin Dad Pod, recorded on July 21st, 2022. I'm your Bitcoin Dad, and today I am sitting down with... Kamal. You know how we do the introduction to our podcast, that awkward pause. (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) We're going to touch on your work at Galois and planning the Adopting Bitcoin Conference, which will be taking place in San Salvador this year in November.
1: That's right. On the fifteenth of November, fifteenth to seventeenth in San Salvador and Bitcoin Beach.
0: Before we touch on that, would you mind briefly talking about your Bitcoin journey and how you became a professional Bitcoiner at Galois?
1: How did I get into Bitcoin and specifically to Galois? I think I've always been very curious about the internet and technology and the different niches and scenes that are going on there. So at some point I found Bitcoin and looked into it, didn't care about it like many people.
0: What year was that? I think the first time
1: I encountered it was 2014 or something. People told me about it. You should look into it. And I was like, well, that's never going to work. And what is it good for? Like, I didn't understand money. I didn't understand. And the problems involved with it with it so I couldn't appreciate the solution I found out about it again later on in 2016 discovered that there was a meetup that I attended in Munich where I was living at that time that was around the block size wars you really had to get technical and understand like how it's working so
0: I did that and maybe we could take a brief... Detour into the block size wars. I think today, looking back, because BCH and BSV, these big block Bitcoin forks, have failed so spectacularly, it's almost easy to conclude that it was obvious that big blocks are not a scalable solution for a layer one blockchain. At the same time, Gavin Andreessen, one of the main early Bitcoin Core developers, ended up being a big blocker. So when you were exposed to the debate, Did it seem obvious to you? I can very
1: vividly remember in 2016 with the Munich Bitcoin meetup community where we discussed about this and even took a vote what our recommendation should be. I I think the arguments for big blocks were compelling at that time and they made sense and they scaled Bitcoin. But the way they did it were not in line with the security precautions that Bitcoin network has to take, meaning it should be easy to run a node on low cost hardware and decentralization should not by such scaling attempts. Many people didn't appreciate that or understand that at that time. I remember a friend, I took her with me to that meetup and I asked her, what do you think? Uh, should we go the big block route? And she was like, yeah, I mean, more throughput, then it can become money and everyone can use it and cheap transaction fees and stuff. She didn't immediately get it. So, and I can understand like many people didn't get it, but Bitcoin needs to be built in a way and the network, it needs to resist any capture from any powerful entity and you can only achieve that if you have a lot of nodes that can run on cheap hardware.
0: Right. And so even the big blockers back then were clear that they did not believe that everyone would run a big block node. They were already pointing out that they were talking about centralizing Bitcoin nodes onto server grade systems. You'd rely on someone else's node to use Bitcoin in their
1: future. That's exactly a non-starter. I mean, you hear from Fake Toshi that he's trying to build Bitcoin in a compliant way, (laughs) right? So... He doesn't seem to perceive governments or central banks as a threat to Bitcoin and it should exist in a
0: friendly relationship. He seems to think that the way to establish ownership of Bitcoin is going to the court system. And they will make an edict that will give everyone's Bitcoin to him. (laughs) And that he can somehow make the core devs give him Bitcoin. You can make whatever software you want, man. I don't think we're going to be running it, though.
1: I'm not sure whether he believes that stuff that he's telling. I think he tells it because his audience is gullible and would believe it and it works on them. But that number is becoming smaller and smaller as time passes.
0: Yeah, I've been going down that rabbit hole with the Dr. Bitcoin podcast. Pretty interesting. I think their conclusion is that fake Toshi has somehow managed to convince Calvin He
1: He's the owner of Bodog, a big gambling site.
0: Oh, I didn't know the name of the site, but if we can just call him Bodog, that's great. (laughs) So Bodog was somehow convinced to give fake Toshi a lot of money, but it's collateralized by Satoshi's coins. Oh, wow.
1: That's the theory, at least. So he convinced him that he actually had access to them.
0: And then he's going around trying to sue his way to ownership of these coins. So it's just a very uh, amusing farce, I guess.
1: I mean, if that's what they want to do with their life, I'm sure the court system can drag it out.
0: After the big block discussion, were you now a Bitcoiner or did you hibernate until the next cycle?
1: Well, I had to do a lot of digging. And sure, now we had won the block size wars, but how were we? we going to scale right so that was the question there was the promise of lightning but lightning was not there yet so i was waiting for that to happen trying to wrap my head around the incentives to run a node why do i actually need to run a node and i was still in the process of falling down the rabbit hole and understanding all of these kind of things then with lightning in 2018 staticus who's now working at shift crypto uh, released his raspy Bolt guide which is the mother of all node implementation guides like all of those raspy blitzes and umbrellas and my notes, they basically sprung out of the raspy bolt. So it was the proto bitcoin full node on a Raspberry.
0: i see that Raspy bolt in the corner
1: uh, that's a Raspy blitz developed out of the Raspy bolt project where you had to type every command on the terminal and i had no command line interface experience to that point so it was very convenient for me to learn that way by just following staticus guide and setting up the node and it took me at that time with a raspberry pi 3 and a 500 gigabyte hard drive not a ssd took me three or four months every day coming home from work from seven to until i sleep working on it and there were so many challenges to overcome at that time in my mind i was trying to find out whether bitcoin is actually a good investment for me at that time i was looking at it as an investment and i thought for it to be the best investment it needs to be used as money in day to day transactions at least it has to have the possibility to be used in that way if it's out of the question that bitcoin becomes a medium of exchange on a global level then Probably there might be another coin that could overtake it and that might disrupt the narrative because the prospect of becoming a medium of exchange on a global level is something that is very important to Bitcoin and it doesn't have to happen now or in 10 years, but it it needs to be possible that it can actually be built on Bitcoin. Otherwise, why would you continue down that road? So that was my thinking at that time. So I wanted to figure out how Lightning works, and the best way was um, like I've been to conferences and Listened to the devs, and what I really liked about them was how many caveats they were always mentioning, and the challenges and problems, and how this could fail. Something you don't hear from altcoin developers because they're all time marketing. But I thought the best way is to verify and set up a lightning node myself and see if it really works. And after a couple of months, and with Stadico's personal help, I managed to send and receive a mainnet transaction. And that was like it didn't matter how long it took me, I knew over time this will get easier to a point where you just have to install an app and show an invoice and my mother will be able to do it that was basically like when it clicked for me and i well decided i should go all in because this will work out in the end bitcoin developers the bitcoin community we will figure it out because we're all on this mission and we will all want to make this work and the technology with the lightning network this idea it can work so we'll make it work and That was basically all I needed.
0: And then how did you go from having installed your Pi Bolt, running a lightning node to working at Galoi? So there's one more
1: step in between, I think, in terms of Bitcoin. Once I had that, then BTC Pay server came out in 2017. That had Lightning as well. And then they had a node, one-click integration where you could run it on a VPS. And that worked like a charm. So I tried it out. Like, I wanted to run it because it was fantastic. And all of that time, my mind was totally blown. Because not many people in the world, even many Bitcoiners, hadn't experienced Lightning at that time. So was this? 2018. In a VPS? On a VPS, yeah. And what I did then was, okay, well, this is working and there are now Lightning nodes, uh, Lightning wallets also in 2018. So I went out and convinced a friend of mine who ran a bar and a daily and a cafe to accept Bitcoin payments over Lightning. With my BTC pay server, we had a deal. He was not convinced of Bitcoin at all, but we had a deal. I said, you're not going to have any troubles. You're just going to have, when the Bitcoiners come, they will have the opportunity to pay you with Bitcoin over Lightning. And every end of the month, You can sell those Bitcoin to me if you don't want to hold them. It was the bottom of the bear market in the beginning of 2019. So he agreed. It uh, ran for a good two and a half years or something and was a place where people could actually go and spend Bitcoin with lightning in the real world for real goods, buy a coffee. And that was the whole reason I did it. I just wanted a place for people where they can feel Bitcoin and use it as money. I got in touch with the community and there I met awesome people like Moritz Wietersheim from Spectres and Daniel Wingen, who was doing like value of Bitcoin conference. Munich has a really vibrant community, a lot of builders and hackers, not just memers and hodlers. (laughs) They're really like moving things. And Moritz actually like tipped me off after the El Salvador announcement. I had already heard about Bitcoin Beach in 2020, but he said, hey, look, you're a marketing guy and there's this company. Would you be interested? They're looking for for a marketing guy to market their technology. And I had no clue about Galloway at that time. So he hooked me up with Chris and Nicola and they said, hey, we're planning this bitcoin banking solution and we're doing the bitcoin beach wallet in el salvador that's running on our technology but we're not actually the bank we're just building the technology for communities to become their own community bank and they made me an offer and asked me to actually do the adopting bitcoin conference in el salvador and that's how it started
0: So could you just briefly describe what the Bitcoin Beach Wallet is and how that's a community banking solution that Galoi wants to popularize?
1: The Bitcoin Beach Wallet is basically a community bank. And what does that mean? It means that there is a mobile app that the community can use to hold their funds in Bitcoin and transact over Lightning, but it's not self-custodial. It's a shared custody model that's behind it, where the funds of Everyone is basically secured in a multi-sig and they are using a managed lightning node that is currently managed by Galois, where all the channels, all the balancing is done. So they don't have to worry about it. It's very easy for a user to use it. They don't have to worry about backups. Well, only thing they have to backup is they have to know their phone number at the time. We're working currently also on email authentication because can be subject it's a bitcoin banking infrastructure that we're building and one of the things that you can see is the bitcoin beach wallet app that comes from it there is also a community in costa rica called bitcoin jungle that has actually like forked the Galois code which is free and open source software and they have instantiated their own instance of their community bank in costa rica and have bootstrapped the circular economy they have their own app in the app store it's called bitcoin jungle app and it looks very similar Uh, just has instead of the US dollar, it has colones as, as a display currency. And that's basically the vision that everyone can host their own bank and provide lightning services to their customers, citizens, or a community. Basically, any organization can do that, whether it be a city or a little community or a company that wants to just be sovereign in their finances a country could do this as well so it's very scalable the solution that Galois is building
0: you said that it's a shared custody wallet what does that mean
1: the funds of the community are not held by a
0: single entity like
1: for example in wallet of Satoshi but they are held in a quorum of a multi by trusted members of the community and they have to sign off they have to sign off transactions when there needs to be a rebalance for example when funds um, Need to be used. 5% of the funds are in a hot wallet that is used for transactions, basically.
0: And because it's a, a bank where essentially users have accounts, I guess that means that if you and I both have an account with the Bitcoin Beach wallet and I send you a payment, it's not an on chain payment, right? It's just an accounting.
1: Yeah, it's an Intraledger payment. Exactly. It's not an on chain payment and it's also not a Lightning payment. If you're in the bank, you're just, it's an on us payment, as you call it in banking, Intraledger. So So it's just debited from one account to the other.
0: And how is Galoi going to monetize this? Because it seems like Bitcoin Jungle has just forked the code. How exactly does Galoi get paid?
1: Bitcoin Beach is a community project, but the Bitcoin Beach Wallet company is its own company. So the community bank has become its own business. They have contracted Galoi to manage basically the infrastructure for them. So that's one of our clients at Galoi, the Bitcoin Beach Wallet. The business model of Galoi is, like a Red Hat model offer support sure the code is free and open source everyone can just run it without asking for permission and that's what Bitcoin Django did and that, that was really like great for us because it's very very complex technology and software and you need very specific skills to run it and it was great to see for our developers that they had put everything in a way and they could document it, everything and set everything up that people who were not who have not coded on that code base but had like the necessary skills like Kubernetes and stuff, they could look at it and get it up and running in a matter of two weeks. That was really great to see for us. But of course, those will probably not be huge revenue opportunities for us because they're small and nimble communities who are just uh, looking to have access to the world's best monetary network and Lightning, because most of them have no bank accounts in El Salvador and in Bitcoin Beach, especially. So we hope that other organizations and banks and smaller communities like cities will want to have and offer uh, lightning payments to their citizens or constituents, like neo banks might want to pop up, but who don't want to deal with all of the hassle of Bitcoin core banking solution from scratch. Also don't have uh, maybe the technical or development skills to instantiate a Bitcoin bank, which is quite involved. So they might contract us and that's the
0: business model. I understand. Understand that stable coins may also be a part of this roadmap for a custodial Bitcoin banking platform. Can you talk about stable sats?
1: Stable sats is actually like there is no coin involved other than sats in our solution. But what we are trying to offer the bank customers basically is transacting over the lightning network without being exposed to Bitcoin exchange rate volatility. Basically, they will have soon we have rolled it out to a small amount of beta testers right now and we're hoping to roll it out even further if everything goes right. Those users will soon have a second wallet in their wallet on their home screen. So it will be a Bitcoin account and a dollar account and uh, they can move money across these two accounts with one transaction. The money or the sats basically that are held in the dollar account, they are packed to the dollar amount of the time that they were put into it.
0: Can you explain how you create a stable dollar value only using satoshis
1: yes so it's called a bitcoin backed stable coin or a synthetic dollar in banking terms or financial terms and the way it works is that for every dollar that is being held in the dollar account our dealer bot is short bitcoin on an exchange to basically hedge and and pack and, and create that synthetic dollar works with derivatives and the short position that can be increased or decreased according to how many people want to hold dollars instead of Bitcoin. And
0: I think that some of our listeners are familiar with this concept because this is an idea that actually stretches way back to BitMEX, the Bitcoin mercantile exchange, where BitMEX was a Bitcoin only platform and they created contracts that could create synthetic dollars where you basically take Bitcoin and you sell the upside. So if your Bitcoin appreciates in value, the person who's bought the upside gets to enjoy that appreciation. But if it falls in value, the person who's bought the upside is paying you so that you have a stable dollar value. This is essentially the same thing?
1: I think so. So I'm hearing for the first time about uh, that offering of BitMEX, but I know that Arthur Hayes writes about uh, these topics a lot. And he actually, in that article, he explains pretty accurately, like, the way it's being done in the section Bitcoin-backed stablecoin. Just I'm really pedantic about this point. Like, it's not a stablecoin. There is no other coin involved other than SATs in this constellation, like with Tether or USDC, you name it. Like, all of these coins that have all of the interoperability problems that they have and that are running on multiple
0: blockchains and... Custody risk. Right. It sounds like the dollar account, the value it's representing is the price of a combined Bitcoin collateral and Bitcoin short position in dollars. Exactly. Is there a question mark where there is a moment in volatility where that price could break?
1: Yeah, so there are risks. And one obvious risk is the Bitcoin exchange rate going to zero. So that's one risk, in which case this doesn't work out well. (laughs) Another risk is obviously the counterparty risk uh, of the exchange where the short position is being entered. That can be mitigated to some point. Do you mean by using multiple exchanges? For example, and also by leveraging to have less exposure. That has other risks again. We're trying to find a sweet spot. So we have very capable people, very experienced in trading and markets. Uh, a lot of data scientists, Jose, Sebastian, were working on this full-time for as long as I know them. They have a lot of problems to solve. Also, like the free option problem that such an offering brings along. Could you explain the free option problem? So the way it works in the Bitcoin Beach wallet, how you get like from Bitcoin to US dollars is you create... An invoice in the US dollar account basically created at a certain exchange rate and, and that exchange rate uh, at the creation of the invoice time is fixed right and if now the price moves for example the Bitcoin price goes up you can just leave that or let that invoice expire but if it goes down you can pay it and you get the old exchange rate and you make a profit because of the Bitcoin move and that needs to be avoided because obviously it can be gamed and exploited and people can make a lot of money for, from that free option because it doesn't cost them any they get a free option that they can use or not use and only use if it's profitable for them.
0: I think it speaks to another potential issue that you mentioned to me about free lightning to on-chain, where it's possible to game the Bitcoin Beach wallet by basically sending lightning into your Bitcoin Beach wallet and then withdrawing on-chain a free loop out. And so this is kind of interesting because it sounds like this might be a problem inherent in community facing pseudo public goods, whereby you want to make something available to a community, but you also don't want to have them using it against you kind of to speculate.
1: Um, yeah, that's an interesting problem that arose as well. And that our engineers, Jose, again, shout outs to Jose, who also wrote an excellent paper on this topic. We call it always the liquidity paper. I don't know what the full title is, but it basically deals with that problem of liquidity leachers and how you have to price liquidity in lightning. Like you said, like people, can, and some of them do, just can send to their Bitcoin Beach Wallet account, can send Lightning payments, and then withdraw on-chain a service for which they would have to pay at Bolt's exchange or at a service from Lightning Labs. They can just get for free, right? This needs to be solved so it's not abused because obviously like we want to offer that unified account where people don't have to worry about, oh, this is a Bitcoin address, uh, on-chain address, and uh, but I only have a Lightning balance and so I can pay it right? That shouldn't be for very convenient user experience. So we have to offer it. But all, on the other hand, we also have to put some limits to potential abuse where people just want to loop out their Lightning channels and uh, get their on-chain funds. So
0: Is the right word abuse or is the word maybe mispricing?
1: Depends on how you look at it. So obviously there's an engineering solution uh, by applying like the correct price and incurring the right amount of cost to someone who wants to do that. You could also look at it a bit like that, right? So it's a service that they're offering, but it incurs the cost on us. So we have to pass that along uh, appropriately.
0: One thing I'm thinking as we're discussing this is that the Bitcoin Beach wallet really does sound like it enables all of these banking functions. And the fact that some developers were able to fork that and get it up and running in a week is pretty revolutionary because generally speaking, I think at least in the United States, the time line to bring a new bank online is measured in years, not in weeks. After speaking with Kamal and doing some research on the Adopting Bitcoin conference, the Bitcoin DadPod is going to promote this conference. Adopting Bitcoin is happening November 15th to 17th in El Salvador. It just really looks like the conference that I would go to if I could. It isn't going to be too large. 700 attendees, over 100 Bitcoin developers, including core devs. There's an economics track and a development track, which are the two big facets of Bitcoin that are important. There's an unconference, so if you're an advanced Bitcoin or you're working on projects in the Bitcoin space, you'll have an opportunity to propose a subject that is literally what you want to talk about with experts. And if you can convince enough people to join you, you guys can go and solve that problem right then and there. It just seems really well thought out and really cool. I've been to conferences before that were too large, too commercial. This seems like the opposite of that. So I'm super bullish on the Adopting Bitcoin conference. And if you buy a ticket with the promo code BitcoinDad, you get a 21% discount and something goes back to support the pod. So if you're thinking about going, consider using that promo code. The website is adoptingbitcoin.org. And if you buy a ticket via the website using the promo code BitcoinDad, then you get a 21% discount and something goes back to support the show. I think that this discount reduces over time. So go ahead and get that as soon as possible if you can confirm your plans. Seems like a really cool conference. I don't know if I'll be able to make it, but I would really We'd like to. Thanks a lot. StableSats creates a US dollar account inside the Galois wallet, but this is very different than using a stablecoin because if you're using the Galois wallet, you're relying on the custodian of those funds because it's a custodial wallet. But if we added a stablecoin like, say, USDC or Tether, we'd actually need to rely on two parties, the Galois wallet custodian and the stablecoin issuer. Can you talk about why you didn't just add a stablecoin and decided to create your own synthetic dollar in this wallet?
1: There's added risk with another counterparty, uh, namely the stablecoin issuer. But let's discard that for a moment and look at how they work. There are many stablecoins. There is Tether, there is USTC, there is DAI. But not only are there many stablecoins, but they are not even interoperable with each other. Like think of Tether is on Liquid, on Omni, on Tron, on Ethereum. When you have Tether on Tron and I have Tether on Ethereum, you can pay me because those blockchains are not interoperable. That's just a big problem. And it's possible to just not have any coin at all and transact over Lightning. You have this synthetic dollar. So the value of your holding is packed to the exchange rate of the dollar. But theoretically, it could be packed to any fiat currency. And what that means is you can actually hold, for example, dollars. And when you pay, it's instantly converted for the current exchange rate to sets, which you then send over the best monetary payment network, which is the Lightning Network, to the receiver. And he can then choose whether he wants to hold those sats as Bitcoin and be exposed to the volatility of Bitcoin or hold it for, say, in euros or any other fiat currency. So that's kind of mind-blowing because all of a sudden, the payer can have one fiat currency and pay someone else in another fiat currency over the Lightning Network.
0: Right. So you're keeping all of the transactions on the same network, preserving the network effect of money. You don't have these fractured systems that are not interoperable. You're really just relying on Bitcoin. You don't need additional networks or infrastructure or trusted custodians to make fiat transfers work using this model. And you also don't have an additional trusted party that you need to rely on for the value of the fiat stable balance.
1: That's exactly right. And the Lightning Network is the best payments network that you can engineer. It has way more throughput than Visa. It has instant settlement, virtually no fees. Getting that monetary network effect onto that network, no matter which asset really you want to peg your value to and be able to transact with anybody who's on that network is also good for the growth of the lightning network
0: and it makes doing transfers on the lightning network more useful as you grow the lightning network so there's almost like a self-reinforcing cycle
1: exactly yeah don't we call that the Metcalf law? <laughs> the exponential value of the network increases the more users it adds. The network gets better the more users use it.
0: Which causes more users to use it because it's better. I
1: think one more point that we should touch on is why do we even need stable coins? There are, for example, wallets out there who have even gotten rid of the display currency in fiat, just denominate in sets. But we're going another route because we have learned from Bitcoin Beach and the people that use Bitcoin there, certain things. And one of them is that El Salvador has the dollar as their currency, and people think in dollars. Their unit of account is dollar. They are denominating their prices in dollars, and that's not going to change so quickly. Another thing is that they have their obligations in dollars, which means their landlord is asking them pay their rent denominated in dollars so for example 500 dollars now imagine a merchant in bitcoin beach is selling pupusas and bitcoiners come from all over and are happy to pay with lightning let's say bitcoin price is at 20k and they make a pupusa purchase for $500. $500. The merchant is really happy and he thinks, well, great, I already have the rent to pay to my landlord. Until the end of the month, Bitcoin price crashes by 50% and he can't pay his rent anymore. There's a steep learning curve to using Bitcoin, the asset with its price volatility, especially you need to have some reserves to indulge in this volatility. If you have short-term obligations, it's useful for these people to put it aside in the currency that the obligation are denominated in, which is the US dollar currently in El Salvador. From a point of adoption and from transitioning to a Bitcoin standard, embracing Bitcoin, the asset, I think everyone needs to do it on their own terms and in their own pace. And part of what that means is they have to determine themselves how much exposure they can afford to have to Bitcoin, the asset. Imagine you have lived all of your life in this room here and this is the world that you know let's say this is the dollar room it's all that you know right how could you complain you don't know anything better now i come through this door and say, Hey, Dad, look over here. We have here the Bitcoin room. And it's fantastic. It's so much better. Look at all these friends and party going on. Come over from their lonely room that you're used to and party with us. And you're going to say, Well, okay. But I say, Once you cross that room, you can't ever go back to the room that you're used to. That will make that transition difficult. Whereas, if you know, Oh, if I feel awkward at the party, I can always go back to my room that I'm used to and just choose how much exposure. I want to these crazy Bitcoin guys, well, then that door needs to be open and you need to be able to make that transition. And I think this will help everyone to make it on their own terms voluntarily. Otherwise, we would be forcing them into this new paradigm. That's not the Bitcoin way.
0: Another way that I'm thinking about it as you describe that metaphor is that if someone with a low time preference who doesn't have a lot of savings is exposed to Bitcoin volatility by surprise, they might have to sell all their Bitcoin at the bottom because they have an obligation. Obligation to pay right now. But if you have the ability to lock in dollar gains and cover your costs with those locked in dollar amounts, then you still might have some Bitcoin at the end of the month. You have some more certainty. And so I think there's this idea about financial certainty. In the future, we think that Bitcoin probably will have a more stable price and will be able to denominate things in Bitcoin. But in the meantime, the one variable that is uncertain about Bitcoin is the price. Everything else about it is certain. Just not the price and so by adding the dollar into the system we can create some price certainty for people and the way you explain it and i think the way that we're thinking about it this isn't in any way a betrayal of bitcoin values this is allowing people to do planning it's not our fault that everything in the world is priced in a fiat altcoin it's just not yet priced in bitcoin
1: it's yet to be seen how bitcoin behaves and the bitcoin exchange rate behaves in the future when it's not just a half trillion dollar market but say 10 trillion dollar the theory is what people smarter than me say is that price fluctuations will reduce and it will be more stable. And then it will be in that future also possible to denominate prices in satoshis. When that happens, then your obligations are denominated in sats as well. And it will be outlandish to keep money in fiat when that happens. But this is something like here in Turkey, you can see it. It takes a lot of time. 20 years ago, the central bank dropped six zeros from the banknotes so at that time what is one lira now was one million but still so much time after that my aunts and my uncles still talk to me like how much does that cost i asked them they say 20 million and i'm like wait a minute 20 million for bread that doesn't make sense well they say well 20 lira they still can't get it out of the language which means they can't get it out of their thinking and unit of account is really deeply entrenched in people
0: what is the story behind the Adopting Bitcoin conference?
1: Our founder from Galois, Nicola Berti, was already in Bitcoin Beach trying to tailor the Good Lightning the community bank to the needs of the community there in 2020. And then in 21, the big announcement came around and obviously we were like, Wow, like everyone else, uh, super surprised and super stoked and excited that uh, sovereign nation is now making favorable regulation for Bitcoin. But what we noticed, and, and especially like Nicola and Aaron Van Verdem from Bitcoin Magazine and Moritz from Spectre and Fode and Diop were on the ground in El Salvador because they were curious like, what's going on? Is this real? How are they doing this? Do they need help? And they talked with a lot of businesses and companies and banks to understand, like, how are they preparing for this? Because at that time, Everyone thought, oh, they're going to be forced by law to accept Bitcoin, so they need to get ready in like six weeks, right? They wanted to see on the ground, like, how is that going and what are they doing? And they were shocked to see, like, they were not prepared at all. They had very little knowledge about Bitcoin. They didn't have the right sources. They didn't, frankly, even have, like, the motivation or didn't see any urgency in really moving or looking into it. Most critically, the lack of education and opportunities to learn and understand, and obviously also like Bitcoin companies who offer the right solutions to make them Bitcoin ready. And they all agree there needs to be a conference. We need to bring Bitcoiners here. We need to bring Bitcoin companies to El Salvador to make that place where Salvadorians can come and educators can come and meet and discuss the problems and learn from each other and see solutions to actually prepare for what's coming, to make the adoption of Bitcoin actually successful.
0: The Adopting Bitcoin Conference actually started as a response to the Bitcoin law in El Salvador that required companies to accept Bitcoin. And so it sounds like that approach to Bitcoin adoption maybe missed a couple steps in terms of providing educational resources and ways for businesses and citizens to get ready for that change. And so the Adopting Bitcoin Conference is kind of like a grassroots response, filling the educational gap and creating a place for people to figure out how to actually come into compliance and adopt Bitcoin in line with that law.
1: That's exactly right. There are two strains of Bitcoin adoption in El Salvador. One is the bottom-up grassroots that people know from Bitcoin Beach and Mike Peterson and Chimbera, who have been doing fantastic community work there, educating relentlessly everyone. And then there is like the top-down one that we all saw in Miami in. 21.
0: And this is a reference to Bukele's televised speech where he announced that El Salvador would have a Bitcoin law making it legal tender. He said he was inspired
1: by Bitcoin Beach at that Twitter space when the vote was going on in the parliament and he hopped onto that famous Twitter space with Nick Carters and Alex Gladsteins but he also like a little bit hijacked like the whole narrative to use it for marketing purposes which is fine I guess and on the education end they really didn't Do a lot. What they did is pass the law, which is okay. Could be better, maybe, but I understand, like, also, like, why they put the forced into it at that time. Now they are not enforcing it, which is good. But it got everyone's attention for sure. And the reason why I say I understand why he did it is because he had that narrative that people Salvadorans in America, the diaspora, can send money home for remittances. I mean, huge part of Salvadoran GDP is remittances. I think like one quarter or even more. But in order for that to work. people need to be able to use Bitcoin as money at merchants in El Salvador. This law binds merchants to accept Bitcoin when it is actually offered as compensation for a purchase. So that makes a lot of sense. When a son sends money in form of Bitcoin to his mother, uh, they need to be able to go to a doctor or a pharmacy or a grocery shop to pay for their produce with Bitcoin. And he put that framework up and also the Chivo app, because what really should they do? Like they could have educated the people about free and open source software, but that's not the route they went. They made a government wallet, centralized one, very opaque, closed source. Nobody really knows what's going on.
0: Is it even known which company built the Chivo wallet?
1: Yeah, there's been a couple of companies involved. There's a lot of pieces in, involved in providing something like this. I think one of the companies is Alpha Point. I think also BitGo is somehow involved in the custody. I think River is involved in terms of the Lightning Node. But there is very little reliable information or official announcements about who is involved. So very little is known, very opaque, even closed source. I mean, you can't really tell whether there's any Bitcoin at all. Most of the transactions are probably Chivo to Chivo. So it's intraledger transactions. I can understand it from a government point because you put out a law like that and you force people to do it, use it, but you also have to provide them the means to use it. Well, they just reduced the means to the technology, like the kiosks, the ATMs and Chiba Wallet and maybe a POS. But I think like the means is also education and they totally blacked out on that. But I guess
0: that's okay. We have now great initiatives. Because the Adopting Bitcoin Conference came into being to fill the educational gap. One last question. Question about the Chivo wallet phenomenon. It kind of sounds like the Goloy wallet could have been used instead of Chivo. Maybe was there ever, ever any discussion around that, or is that just something that didn't happen?
1: Well, the good thing about the law is the government doesn't force anyone to use Chivo, right? But they do have like a marketing advantage because people like trust the government and they push the Chivo and not the Bitcoin Beach wallet, which is fine, right? <laughs> I mean, they're the government, but um, I think like one technical disadvantage that the Bitcoin Beach wallet didn't have at that time, which was very important for the Salvadoran people was the option to actually hold dollars and transact those over Lightning. As I said, like we're getting there now, only now, but uh, we didn't have that at that
0: time. And together with the government's marketing authority, Chivo grew a lot bigger. The adopting Bitcoin conference has kind of two main themes. One has to do with Bitcoin economics and the other one is more software development focused. How did you decide to create that breakdown in the conference?
1: It's the way we did it in the first year, and it was a major talking point in our very first meeting. Like, how should the conference be structured if we do it? And uh, since, like, most of the people that were in the organizing team were developers, but also entrepreneurs, and they understood that failing to understand the economics of Bitcoin and non technical parts and aspects and disciplines around it can lead to bad outcomes.
0: Do you mean altcoins? Is that <laughs> what you mean?
1: <laughs> exactly. Like, altcoining and crypto, but also other things like failure to understand why Bitcoin is good money and why actually Bitcoin is a solution to the current financial system. That's not a
0: technological thing. It's an economic question. How do you handle the multicultural language barriers of a conference like that? How does that work? The main
1: primary language of the conference will be English. We will have like simultaneous English-Spanish translation for all the stages. So people will just get a little ear up and can listen to the talks and panels and presentations in Spanish. And that has worked well. So that's the approach that we're taking. The primary language is English. I think it's very clear in Bitcoin that English is the resource richest language in terms of everything Bitcoin and Lightning related and also economics. There are local communities like ours here in Turkey and also many different places in use crypto in Brazil. 21 in Germany, all over the world, and Bitcoin Tani in Kenya, who are localizing the existing Bitcoin content into local languages. That's very, very important to make it accessible to even more people. But yeah, it's also a lot of work and a lot of languages, right?
0: <laughs> you also mentioned that there is a adopting Bitcoin unconference. What exactly did you mean by that?
1: An unconference, another word for it is a bar camp, and those are conferences where there is. no top-down programming from the organizers, but uh, participants get together in a general assembly in the morning and they propose topics they want to talk about. And then people from the audience say, hey, that's super awesome. I want to join that session. And then they get assigned a room where they can then work on a specific problem that they're interested in.
0: This almost sounds like a open source or a crowd source hackathon or something. Yeah.
1: So it's inspired from the light. Hack Days that is organized by Fulmo, which the last one actually took place here in Istanbul in February, which was great. A hackathon always has like a prize at the end, whereas the Hack Days is there is no prize. People just get together because they want to, intrinsically motivated, working on something, meeting with peers and developers. And then at the end, there's a demo if there is a showable result. At Adopting Bitcoin, we're going to use that same concept. Well, there will be obviously some programming that will frame the whole thing. And there are also some scheduled workshops that we know of in advance, because even in an unconference, not everything is like super spontaneous.
0: So the unconference isn't before or after adopting Bitcoin. This is part of the adopting Bitcoin structure.
1: Yes, exactly. We will start off on our two main programmed tracks, the econ and the dev track. And after lunch, there will be uh, more fundamentals and basics on these tracks and also panels that some people who are going to conferences are simply not interested in. They just want to meet the people and put their heads together and work on a certain problem, whether it's a specification or just hacking. Not every niche topic is suitable for the various visitors that come to such a conference. So it's sometimes better to have 10, 15 people who are very interested on a very niche topic to get into a small room for 90 minutes. From our perspective, we are just labs in a way. And we don't like we're trying to program a conference, but who are we to say, like, what should be on the program in a way? And it's a way to really yeah, leverage like the ingenuity of Bitcoiners in general who are coming
0: to this to conferences like this. And thank you also for answering the question. Is it pronounced pleb or plebe? I think it's pleb, isn't it? Is there really a contention about this? Uh, No, no, I think it's a joke. (laughs) But actually, we have listeners who might not be familiar with the term Bitcoin pleb. Could you explain that for them? Oh, that's a
1: difficult one, actually. I think it's someone who is a Bitcoiner who is humble and doesn't think he knows better than others. I I think being humble is the most important part, and there are way too many people in the Bitcoin sphere that are considered Bitcoiners, (laughs) but they're not humble, and... And I think like being humble is the main ingredient. I see. But I think we could argue about that, like people argue about Bitcoin maximalism, what it really means. And it would be fair if everyone had their own definition.
0: (laughs) Since you brought it up, this seems to be a big conversation right now. So we can have the Bitcoin maximalism uh, discussion. I have a proposed definition. I want to try it on you. Oh, please. I think that if you believe Bitcoin will be the world reserve currency of the future, then you're a Bitcoin maximalist. Sure, it's
1: a necessary one, but it's not sufficient, I would say.
0: Please go on. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
1: I think there is also, I know he's not a Bitcoiner anymore, or I'm doubting that he ever was. But Nassim Taleb said, like, if you see a fraud and you don't call it a fraud, you are a fraud. And Bitcoiners shouldn't be a fraud.
0: Does that mean that we have to call Nassim Taleb a fraud right now?
1: I don't know what we should call Nassim Taleb. I've stopped following him since he had his mental breakdown over COVID with Saifuddin.
0: Because he went to a BSV conference, I think. I saw his name on a panel, and I think that Fake Toshi was on there as well. I think
1: Nassim Taleb is generally a very statist person, so that fits that view that I have of him.
0: And I think the system has been very good to Nassim Taleb, so why would you bite the hand that feeds you?
1: Exactly. with would you? <laughs>
0: Especially if it's fake Toshi's hand. He might sue you if you buy him.
1: If Bitcoiners wouldn't call out fake Toshi as fake Toshi, there might be a lot of people getting wrecked on him and believing him because, I don't know, they are impressed by his. Maybe they think, oh, that's how super, super smart people speak.
0: (laughs) I think I agree with you in the sense that we all have a responsibility to counteract what we perceive to be lies and false narratives because even though you don't receive any reward. And you normally get a lot of blowback and criticism when you do that. If we don't have people speaking truth to power or truth to lies, then do we even have a community or a society? Exactly. Like
1: there's a choice. Either we're responsible and we're left alone or we're irresponsible and we're letting all of these scams run wild. And then some politician will come up and say, look at all the harm that has been done by this whole of crypto industry and we need to regulate them because obviously they are super irresponsible. They can't moderate themselves. Those are the two choices. And if people think calling out something that's a scam, a scam is too toxic, then I don't know what to say to them. Either that or you get strangulated by regulation.
0: I think you probably get both because if you think that Bitcoin is going to be the reserve currency of the future or a reserve currency there could be a world of multiple reserve currencies, potentially, then that means that Bitcoin is, in a real sense, eating the lunch of the world's largest central banks. And that puts Bitcoin in a collision course with them. So it seems to me that we probably should be honest about that and honest about scams that will not give you the financial protections of Bitcoin, but it's very likely we'll see aggressive regulation, simply because what's the ECB going to do other than try to ban all of the alternatives to a exploding euro system
1: i mean there are alternatives they just don't have the right incentives it seems or there is a bigger reward for not doing it the right way which would be embracing bitcoin embracing innovation giving up their fiat fraud putting them as a spearhead of this financial revolution that is looks like inevitable to many if bitcoin continues to be decentralized and there is no single failure a point of failure and blocks keep on coming, then it can only adoption can only be slowed down. If they recognize that, then they should actually jump on it earlier, because that's what will reward them, because any fighting against it will just be temporarily successful. Obviously, not all countries are the same. Not all countries are a monolith either. I refuse to believe that there are some upright politicians, even though that seems like a paradox. So I'm hoping. But if we don't believe in these people, that they exist, they cannot exist. So we have to hope and wish and believe that it's possible to be an upright politician and try to actually do a good job in reducing government and regulation.
0: (laughs) Oh, there it comes. There we go. (laughs) Maybe we should just be very clear about the timeline of adopting Bitcoin. When does the conference start? It's gonna
1: take place this year, this fall, in November, fifteenth to seventeenth in San Salvador at the Crown Plaza. Last year we did it at the Sheraton, but this year it went for the Crown Plaza because there are more opportunities to do the unconference with smaller sessions and focus groups.
0: And does the Crown Plaza accept Bitcoin? I said we're gonna cancel the
1: conference if you're not accepting Bitcoin by conference time, and they said okay. <laughs> so I'm confident that everything will be possible to be paid in bitcoin over lightning
0: maybe so. you could set up your btc pay server for them give them an account and say "Oh, hey i'll settle up with you at the end of the month
1: yeah i mean that was a good deal for me nowadays there's really good solutions in el salvador like bitcoin beach wallet or ibex mercado or OpenNote or self-custodially like the breeze wallet that these establishments can use to accept bitcoin very easily just one thing that i want to add is like it's going to be a two-day conference at the crown plaza with two programmed tracks so there's going to be something for everyone. Very technical talks. We have Bitcoin Core developers, Lightning Protocol developers, obviously application developers. The development side is really strong. Also got John Harry and the Bold.fun guys who are doing hackathons for Lightning. Also, Fulmo Crew, who is together with Ben Ark, who have been doing the hack table. And on the economic side, a lot of great speakers from different areas, Max Kaiser and Stacey Herbert, have moved to El Salvador and are huge proponents of El Salvador and Bitcoin. Also big fans of Bukele, which not everyone needs to agree with. Did Max ever have a coin? I think he did. It was called MaxCoin in 2015
0: or something. Did he pass it off
1: as a joke or? I think he passed it on as
0: Bitcoin adolescence. Many people had like mistakes in the past, I guess. Right. So Bitcoin forgives. I'm waiting for Roger Vera to come back. Well, eventually he should. He's getting closer and closer after getting wrecked on his uh, levered BCH position.
1: There's a couple of these people that were very big in Bitcoin. Very influential and their megalomania wrecked them. They had hubris, they weren't humble.
0: Dish the Goss. Okay. So we've got Roger and other ones. Yeah. I mean, Mike Hearn, obviously.
1: Right. Can we say Craig Wright?
0: I mean, he discovered Bitcoin very early on. He could have. All he had to do was not be a massive alleged tax fraud. Because the story with Craig is he started pretending to be fake Toshi because he was committing a big tax fraud against the Australian government and he needed a way to say that he'd spent a lot of money on research and development that he hadn't spent. And so he was like, oh, well, I sent Bitcoin transactions. And oh, it's too complicated to show you this Bitcoin transaction. And, you know, he would just go through a block explorer and like find a big Bitcoin transaction and be like, see, that was me. I need a tax rebate on that. It was like a really stupid fraud that then spiraled out of control. One lie led to another. That's his style. But Mike Hearn, why did he leave Bitcoin?
1: There was some proposal that he made. I don't remember
0: the details. It's been very early on. Was he a big blocker?
1: I can't answer that. I don't know him too well. When did he part? In 2013 or something? Yeah, it was very early. Can we name Nick Carter?
0: (laughs) So I really enjoy Nick Carter in many ways because he's sort of a smug financial elitist and he plays a lot of inside baseball. So I think he's a good bellwether of what people are saying. Yeah. So I like that about him. I mean, I also like the way that he will go onto mainstream media outlets and go toe to toe and provide some pretty well-documented facts to sort of fight FUD about Bitcoin. At the same time, I think that Nick has a failure of imagination because he's a venture capitalist. And the real making your dreams reality, a more equitable, interesting future is being a Bitcoin venture capitalist, creating the companies and the infrastructure that Bitcoin needs to reach another billion people. But for your sort of basic venture capitalist, their point of view is, hey, there's not enough Bitcoin startups to invest $400 million, which means I've got to invest in Web3 stuff. Mm. Okay, you might make fiat gains in that, but you're only going to make fiat gains by basically dumping on retail because you're buying tokens in pre-sales and then they release a news announcement. The retail audience is gagging for this new altcoin and then they the VC dumps their pre-vested tokens or even their token future. You have these guys who bought in Solana their coins haven't released, but they're selling the rights to these coins. In my view, that's peak fiat. So I think Nick is a nice contradiction in the sense that he's done a lot for Bitcoin. He's got great research. I love his website. At the same time, he's sort of this venture capitalist peak fiat incentive guy.
1: The way I look at him, he always didn't strike that totally passionate Bitcoin advocate. He was always a little bit distanced. I saw that elsewhere and, it, and where I saw it was traders, people who just put totally unemotionally tra- trade Bitcoin and Ethereum and Ripple and Solana. And the reason why they're so emotionally unattached is this reason why they're so successful in making fiat gains, obviously, right? They are not on a mission to bring Bitcoin to the world. And for that goal, being unemotional and not attached overly to something and keeping an open mind and looking around, you know, it doesn't really fundamentally matter if for a trader, if something is a scam, if enough people think it's not a scam and it's going to the moon, then he should throw his money in there and turn a profit. It's your time preference. Right.
0: That actually brings up an interesting point, which is why are you so passionate about Bitcoin? I think from the outside, a lot of people who aren't into Bitcoin or maybe looking at this phenomenon from the outside are scratching their head and they're thinking, why on earth do you care so much about this technology? Surely it's just greed. Surely you just want this thing to pump up and you sell it for dollars and buy yourself a Lamborghini. I've heard this Bitcoin. Bitcoin passion kind of dismissed. So how would you respond to that dismissal?
1: You're asking me, right? So I'm 40 years old and I've lived a very high time preference life, super hedonistic, going out to parties, meeting tons of people, enjoying myself and not worrying about anything, no idea about money. And that phase I didn't like. I'm playing a different game now. I'm a dad, <laughs> like I have kids and I'm caring about the future and I'm trying to stay humble. What that means is I don't need a lot. i certainly wouldn't buy a Lambo, even if I could. It just shows the world you're an idiot. Yeah, I think like staying humble is really important. And Bitcoin allows me to be successful in a world where being humble is not rewarded. But in Bitcoin, it is certainly. That aligns well with the way I I like to go about things. I try to do
0: my work and make a change and be low-key about it. The way you talk, it sounds like in your mind, Bitcoin is reliable. It's something that will be there in the future that you can just count on. Sounds like you're just taking Bitcoin almost for granted in this future. Why is that? What does that mean to someone who doesn't understand that?
1: Well, I do take it for granted indeed. I don't know anything else that will be around in 20 or 30 years, to be honest. I can't think of anything that could not be gone tomorrow or next year or in five years. But I know, just look at the numbers, how many notes there are and what it would take to erase all of them. Bitcoin is going to be there uh, and it's probably going to be there in a pretty big way. So I do rely on Bitcoin and it would take the end of the world to make Bitcoin disappear.
0: Everyone is pro-Bitcoin at this point, even if they don't realize it. (laughs) how do you mean that well because if they are celebrating the end of bitcoin they're celebrating the end of civilization if they
1: understood yes but unfortunately like information asymmetry is is a and (laughs) not a lot of people understand this or know how reliable bitcoin actually is and that was actually like the outcome of the block size wars you see these two babies there one is running sea lightning one is running lnd they all both have the bitcoin blockchain there is like I don't know, 50,000 maniacs like me, who do the same thing all around the world. You are one of them. You don't even know where they are.
0: Like, how are you gonna shut this off? If your nodes crash, my node protects you. It keeps the same record. In an odd way, we rely on each other in this trustless way. It's pretty subversive when you think about that. This is not how banking works. It's not like one bank fails, but because another bank didn't fail, the people in that first bank are fine. That's not how the traditional system works, but that's how Bitcoin
1: works. Oh, your computers went totally down? No worries. I have a copy of all your account balances, so you can just use it from me. But you can't spend them. It's fantastic. Once you understand that it's not going to go away, once you look at monetary history how people choose and why they choose the hardest money or over time converge to it. If you look at what an impact it has on a human being, when they can actually save in something and plan for the future. Planning for the future is the origin of civilization. And with bad money that takes away from you, you're always on a hustle to survive. You can't think ahead into the future. You can't make plans for five or 10 years into the future. And that's really, really bad. Leads to bad decisions and bad outcomes. And I'm stoked that we now have that roundabout way to get back. To money and not have to be a financial expert to just protect the fruits of our labor.
0: You're referring to the idea in the modern world where I'm a plumber, I go out, I do plumbing all day. In order to have a retirement, I have to come home and trade the stock market like a pro all night so that I just don't get wiped out by inflation and cost of living increases.
1: Exactly. People should just focus on what they're doing and live their life and not have to worry about protecting like where should they put their money so it doesn't evaporate. And that thing should be money. And that used to be that way, especially in Germany with Deutsche Mark. For a long time, it was solid. People could save in it. Germany are great savers, were great savers until, well, they gave away their sovereignty and, and the euro came. It's possible and it leads to a better society where people are responsible, are have morals, have ethics, have principles, because they don't have to sell them to survive on a short term. Like here in Turkey, there is very high inflation third in the world probably right now over 100% according to Steve Hanke (laughs) prices are going up like crazy and I don't frankly know how people survive in this environment
0: is there anything else we should cover or should we wrap it up give the people a handout I
1: hope there might be a couple of bitcoiners who are listening to your pod who will make the travel to El Salvador to Adopting Bitcoin
0: and maybe you could give the listeners a handoff to the Adopting Bitcoin conference or anywhere else you want to point them
1: if they want to learn about Galoi they can go to galoi.io and uh, find all the information there. It's also Galloy Money on Twitter. AdoptingBitcoin.org is the website of the conference. And there's also a Twitter handle, AdoptingBTC, where they can learn all about what's coming up, all of the announcements. I'm on Twitter too, Pretty Flacco.
0: Great. Well, we'll have all that in the show notes. So thank you so much, Kamal. That was a fantastic conversation. And I'm sure the listeners will be very interested to learn more about Adopting Bitcoin. Thank you very much, Dad. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Kamal. It was pretty wide ranging. We definitely got a bit gossipy and we thoroughly enjoyed talking with each other. So I'm glad that you could all join us. Again, based on speaking with Kamal and doing some research, the pod is going to promote this conference. So if you go to adoptingbitcoin.org and you use the promo code BitcoinDad to buy a ticket, you get a 21% discount and i think that reduces over time so if you can confirm your plans it's probably most economical to buy a ticket now remember you can always get in touch with the pod bitcoin dadpod at protonmail.com or bitcoin dadpod on twitter or you can send in a boost we are a podcasting 2.0 enabled podcast And you can use an app such as Fountain.fm, Castomatic, Podverse, I think there's another one, totally blanking, to send in a boost, which is a small lightning payment with a message. And we really enjoy getting those. Thanks so much for listening and see you soon.